Okay, thanks for tuning in to today's show. And we have a special guest with us. Her name is Nicole West. And she has been in the cannabis space doing quite a bit for quite a while. Her background is is very diverse and it, she helps businesses get licenses. And she's been involved in over 45 of those. So she knows a thing or two about cannabis. She's opened over 20 retail locations in four states and overseen over 400 employees. So she's helps she's helped scale small businesses to larger businesses. So she's really tied into the cannabis industry. The way that we got connected was I saw a post on Facebook about hiring people here in Michigan. And I thought, whoa, I need to talk to Nicole because that's what we do. <laughs> so I reached out to her and after a conversation, she decided to come on the show today and share some insights from her experience in the cannabis field. So we're going to jump on the phone with Nicole here in a minute. And I'm going to ask her a bunch of questions about interviewing. And so this podcast is for people that are approaching their first interview or more specifically their second interview. So we want to ask some pointed questions about, you know, what's the point in a second interview and what are some good questions to ask during a second interview? How would I know if I'm doing, if I'm doing well during a second interview and what are some of the things that hiring managers or she looks for during that second interview? So we're going to hop on the phone with her and have that conversation. So here we go. Good morning. Hi, Nicole. It's Matt Hoffman. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Matt? Oh, another day at the office for me. Yeah. Is, are you uh, Are you working from home? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. It's a short commute. So I like it. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for participating in the podcast. It's really helpful to hear the diversity of work that's available in in the industry. And then also given your background, it'd be so helpful to just get some insights into the hiring process, the do's and don'ts and kind of what to expect during interviews. So thank you. You're awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to help. Awesome. So let's dive in and let's just get a little bit of your background. How did you get into cannabis and what did you do before cannabis? Um, well, I got into cannabis kind of, uh, by chance. I always say that the industry chose me. Um, I, uh, (laughs) I was, I was, uh, doing marketing for a real estate company. Um, just after, just after college, I had, I had actually, strangely enough, um, my first big kid job, I, I worked for, for (laughs) RJ Reynolds. Um, I worked for Camel Cigarettes. And, um, I became very, very kind of lost in my life because my, my grandfather was dying in front of me, uh, due to smoking and probably also some of the chemicals that he experienced in war. Um, and he was a Korea veteran, but, uh, his, you know, he had lung cancer and stomach cancer and just all the traditional things that come along with, um, with cannabis. And I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. And I was kind of, turned around and it was a, it was a really great paying job and I didn't really, my whole family told me not to quit because, you know, you'll never find another job like this and very old school mentality of, you know, the American dream, if you will. I kind of had this realization, me and my roommate were growing uh, in our apartment and one of the, one of the people that were getting a product from us was using it to make edibles and was treating their own cancer. And it kind of like, 
gave me this aha moment. Um, you know, me and my my roommate were about to travel the world because I was going to quit my job and we were just going <laughs> to peace out on everything. And um, so I, I, we did that. We had our first harvest and her and I went and we traveled uh, through Europe and uh, we stayed in, in Holland for a little while, which I think also was a bit of a, an awakening just kind of to see the like yeah. beautiful, clean, peaceful, cannabis friendly country, you know, <laughs> on bicycles and like everyone Oscar-beefed, like saying hello to you, you know, like not a single frown in the whole fucking place. And it was, you know beautiful and efficient and clean and I mean even old and small it still had all of those things and when I came back uh from traveling we we really I wasn't ready to stop uh the adventure and so I went up to northern California and I started uh helping with a facility there was an indoor facility in northern California and that same uh farmer owned a facility in southern Oregon and so we were kind of doing a little outdoor, a little indoor. And I was just, you know, learning about cannabis and eventually, you know, things, the, the glamor of living on the mountain wore off and the, the excitement and the chaos kind of got a bit too much. There was, there was, there was, you know, some, some serious legal ramifications and a lot of things kind of came to head on the hill. And, I uh, I went back to Southern California with kind of my tail tucked between my legs <laughs> after after this big adventure, and I went and got a job. And I was like, "What the fuck? I'm gonna go back to work." And so I got a job in real estate at a at a real estate office. The guy who owns it, the brokerage, essentially told me, "You know, you're so social. We want to get you out there. We want to get you, you know, um, selling houses." And this was in the craze of, you know, stated income, uh, you know, adjustable rate mortgage. I mean, it was, it was the, the, um, you know, wild, wild west, if you will, of loans. Mm. You could give, I mean, everyone was, they were just passing them out. I mean, I'm sure everyone saw the fall of the economy, uh, that was caused by this, but I yeah. mean, they were literally just handing a loan to anybody who had a, the ability to hold a pen. Wow. And uh, I got my real estate license and three days later, the economy hit its official crash. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess I wasn't supposed to sell houses. Nope. Um, so I, I was like, wow, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And uh, I had gone in to, um, to buy some weed from my local dispensary. And my, my friend over at Apothecary's Assistance Collective, uh, they were being evicted from their their building, mm. and uh, they were not sure what was going to happen. But the owner, my friend Josh, who I'm still friends with, uh, said, "You know, the city of Long Beach is starting a licensing process." Okay. And I said, "What?" And they're like, "They're going to be doing marijuana licenses." Now, mind you, this is 2009, right? So they were eons ahead of their time. Yeah. And there, there was no state regulation. Colorado hadn't regulated yet. I mean, this was very, very progressive. And the city of Long Beach was, was writing an initiative about initiative. And I mean, I was astonished. And I said, what? You know, they're like, they're, they're writing a law. They're going to let us put weed stores in Long Beach. Oh. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? No way. <laughs> so it was a Monday and city council meetings are on Tuesday. And so I said, I just got to go down there and hear what the fuck they're talking about. And as sure as shit, they were, 
starting a licensing process. Uh, ordinance was going to be Long Beach City Ordinance 5.87. I'll never forget that fucking ordinance. Um, first medical marijuana local ordinance drafted in the United States. Wow. And yeah, yeah. Um, makes it all the way. Uh, 14 drafts. Makes it through uh, signature. City attorney stamps off. Licensing starts. I'm crushing it in real estate. Like everyone's failing. Well, I am doing commercial leases, and I know mm. I'm. I grew up in a a, a mechanically uh, driven family. My grandfather's built construction, and my 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 dad is a mechanic, and so I've got a very strong understanding for electrical. And, so you knew what these facilities space. needed. These these. New oh, licenses. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And none of these real estate agents had any idea. And also I was a cannabis patient and I had been buying, you know, yeah. cannabis at a store and growing it. Now I had been growing it. Mind you, I learned how to grow indoors now for a couple of years so and I had been purchasing, I had been purchasing it, you know, since I was 15, <laughs> but, but at a, at a store since I was 18, you know, one of the first little dispensaries in Venice that or not the, you know, the little, doctor in a dispensary oh, yeah, kind of yeah. you, know, you know the little umbrella model mm -hmm. where they were hiding in basically someone's house and i had been shopping so i thought, I thought wow well, this is for me and i just went around and i started knocking on every door yeah. in town that had a had a commercial spot that was going to be correct and, and telling them hey long beach 5.87 we're about to license this is going to be real. And I had to give a song and dance to every real estate agent in town. And they laughed me out of half of them, <laughs> you know, and, and the half that they didn't laugh me out of, uh, you know, half of those shut me down once I made it to like the main owner or whoever was the underwriter of the property, or maybe even some of the banks were a little, still very scared. And I found a couple, a couple of very big names in real estate that were willing to play. And the, the main owner's, were self-funded mm. and you know they were they were interested and so i got a a catalog of properties and i was able to go around and and offer my pre-vetted marijuana real estate oh my um, god you killed it oh my god i killed you killed yeah it. and this is in 2009 and and then uh we get down towards the end of the licensing process and one of my clients says you know nicole will you help me fill out my paperwork yeah, of course. And he said, I, you know, you've been paying attention to all the council meetings. I think that'd be real helpful. Right. Of course. So I, I go and I help him fill out his paperwork. And I said, who's going to be your, uh, you know, man manager? Who's going to be handling all your paperwork? I, are you going to come down here and do this? And he said, oh, God, no. Because he was from Northern California. I said, well, you're, you're going to need to have somebody who's, um, you know, a signer then, who's your person in charge. And he said, well, how much money do you have, Nicole? And I was like, what? <laughs> And he's like, I see you. You're charging people. How much money do you have? And I was like, well, that's you know neither here nor there. You're but right. he said, you know, I'll I'll offer you a percentage of this business if you help me run it. Mm. Like, can you can you afford to you know be an entrepreneur? I said, oh, yes, yes, I can. <laughs> and so um, that day, you know, we filled out paperwork, and I became uh, one of the managing partners of the dispensary uh, CCLB in in Long Beach. And so we opened up um, uh, our doors. Went through. We went through the full licensing process. I got a certificate of occupancy that said medical marijuana in 2010. Wow. 
And uh, we opened our doors. And within 72 hours, uh, a city council member had her herself very, very upset and uh, brought herself into the council hall and explained how basically nimbyism, how they did not want dispensaries in their neighborhood. Yeah. I did not realize it, but uh, from her front door, you could see my front door. My oh. Open her front door from her window, her front patio. You could see the front door of my dispensary. Now, I had found the best location in town for my, my partner. Uh, it was right across the street from the El Dorado disc golf course. <laughs> on the corner. Oh, my God. And if, you, and if you know anything about disc golf, uh, yeah. you know disc golfers do love weed. <laughs> and and oh. I thought, this is just the perfect place. Well, the city council found a way to uh, zone myself and two other people in the city of Long Beach out of business. Mm -hmm. And the other two had very similar locations that were in great neighborhoods. You know, the the well-to-do neighborhoods, the residential. They just managed to get into the right business piece of that area. Um, and, and, you know, the zone that I was in, there wasn't a business outside of this one little spot of land within a, a mile almost. Right. Uh, and it was right by the park. I mean, it was just a great location. But the city of Long Beach uh, went ahead and added parks to the ordinance, the next yeah. city council meeting, and an emergency ordinance adjustment. And they they added it in, thus overturning three of us and making us illegal overnight. Yeah. Um, start, started getting tickets immediately. And then the city actually, uh, karma bit them in the ass because, there was a, an ambulance chaser lawyer that made their way uh, to the state Supreme Court because there was a, a squad of people who did not win the licensing process in, when we went through in Long Beach. Now, I, I left out the fact that the licensing process was a lottery. Um, I also left out the fact that the lottery machine was broken because they didn't understand that you couldn't put tape on the outside of the perfectly weighted lottery balls. So they ended up dumping the balls into a recycle bin and picking them out of the recycle bin trash can by hand. Now, mind you, the real, the licensing process was on minimum $23,000 application fee, non-refundable. And our whole life is being picked out of a fucking trash can. Right. And, the, and unfortunately that's, you know, for the, the people that don't know that that is all of the bullshit that you're describing is commonplace. And it, it, and super it's, common. Super it sucks. Common. It sucks so bad because you you put all your heart and soul and and money and more often than not people go all in on their on their cannabis businesses and then you're picking they're picking out of a fucking garbage can. Like what is that? Out of a garbage can, right? And so. and, and look, I mean, they went and found a recycle bin. I'm sure because they didn't want their hands to get dirty. Well, yeah, but they yeah. would right the bright blue recycle bin, and you can't even imagine the, the sight for for sore eyes and you're looking down this council chamber and these auditorium seats in this, you know, 50 year old building. And you've got the city attorney's assistant holding a bright blue little baby recycle bin with your whole life on, on, on yeah. balls inside of it, yeah. you know, and I'm just staring down the, the barrel of, of death essentially. <laughs> where it's like, there's, there's no way this is the beginning of something good. You know what I mean? Like you, you see that be, and looking at it now, I mean, it was, it was foreshadowing and how funny we right. find our lives in, in foreshadowing in a lot of these situations where you look back later and you're like, wow, that moment that seemed like such an exciting moment was actually just the, the kinetic energy 
pitting way from what we've been sitting on potentially catastrophic or, or amazing situations. And, and here we go, you know, just plummeting down the mountain. And, and so they overturn the, the ordinance completely about one year later yeah. uh, in 2000 in 2012, completely due to a state Supreme court ruling. Well, so let- the pe- the people who lost, actually hired a lawyer and and uh actually brought that state supreme court or brought that that case all the way to the state supreme court because the ordinance when they zoned us out was proven to be unconstitutional for handicapped accessibility regulations (laughs) because Uh. they basically they basically put all of the dispensaries into the the ghettos and the industrial right they they zoned us out of the residential which is where people live you know, they pushed Which, us out of the places where people could have access to medicine. All this is, you know, again, for you and I in the know, like all this is common practice. So let's, let's skip forward. So I was reading your bio and things have definitely changed. You've been involved in 45 plus yeah. successful applications. Yeah. So what yeah. are you, yeah. so, what are you up to these days? Um. Well, you know, since then it was kind of a, uh, a whirlwind of things. There's been a, a lot of different, you know, directions I feel like the industry has taken. And one thing definitely that I have to say by when you look over the the past 10 years of my experience in the space is to be, to be flexible and to yeah. be malleable. I, you know, I was, you know, I, I was talking to a buddy uh, about an hour before this and I said, yeah, I've got a, a podcast with a really interesting lady. And he said, well, what does she do? And I said, well, she's kind of like me. She does everything. And so it's hard to say, Nicole does this. It's not yeah. like Nicole's a, a dentist. Oh, everybody knows what a dentist is. And the the amount of time that you've spent in the space, you took the words right out of my mouth. You have to be flexible. And it's sometimes you're a municipal lobbyist. Sometimes you're in HR. Sometimes you're in licensing. Sometimes it's in leadership and ownership. I mean, it's just kind of whatever the day demands is where I end up and kind of where I see you. And it's like, that your experience is, is comprehensive to say the least. So I <laughs> just had to throw that in there real quick. I appreciate that. I really do. And, and yeah, I, I feel like it, the importance of being able to wear any hat is, is yeah. there, but also at that same time, you know, what I'm starting to really find is that there's not really anybody willing to, to, wear their one hat really, really well Mm, right now because, um, uh, you know, because the industry is in such a, a, an infancy state, I feel like any, anyone who is somebody like myself or like you, we're like, man, we got to hold all these pieces together. But the bigger reason behind that is there's not a lot of people that are saying, I'm going to be really great at this, right? I'm going to be really great at this. And so over the past, you know, 10 years, I feel like I've been saying I'm a, an industry developer. I'm just trying to mm. be business development for the space. And what I'm finding is I, we need people that are willing to drill down and become the absolute industry experts at yeah. what they do. And, and one thing that I find we're actually getting this is in the extraction world. Oh, the yeah. The only place. The only place that I'm finding people really drilling down and being like, this is what I do 
is in the world of extraction. But those, and I those think guys, a lot of that has to do because you're either going to blow yourself up or you're not. You know, yeah. you're either going to hurt yourself or you're not. You're going to make quality products or you're not. You know, there's not well, there. It's very it's very Yoda in extraction. Yeah. There is, you know, it's, it's just do. Well, those guys and, have always they've always been like that. At least in in my experience with the the extraction guys, they've always drunk. They've always chugged the Kool Aid and just been exactly. about it. Um, I feel like uh, the industry could learn a lot from that. Um, you know, I'm I'm right now my 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 biggest focus is going to be in, in education. Um, I want to you know I'm trying to develop curriculum for all divisions of the industry, and what I'm finding is it's very difficult to find people that are able to be these co-authors yeah. in this strong education platform, this strong curriculum um, of their specialty. Well, the, and the truth is, is that, I mean, you're, you're my, you're my senior by, uh, I started in 2009. So you're, you're even my senior. So you've seen some things that, that even I haven't, but what I, what I've seen is we came out of the wild west. <laughs> it was wild and it still is and still chaotic and, and crazy. And that's part of the appeal to entrepreneurial minds and problem solvers is the madness that is cannabis. But what I saw was corporate America kind of run in and say, Hey, you guys, you bunch of weed heads, we're going to show you how to do this. <laughs> and I, I, I laughed with my girlfriends. I said, these guys are so fucked. They don't even like, what does beauty product executives have to do with growing weed? Nothing like brand a product all day long, but if they can't grow it, then what are they doing? So we sat back and, and just said, these are going to be epic fails. And there's winners and losers, of course. And then what I've seen is it's kind of like a seven-year-old putting on daddy's suit. It, the industry is, it's moving at a breakneck, breakneck pace and it's trying to grow up so fast, but these things just take time. And I think that we're starting to see a resettling and an understanding of the people that were here before are not trash. And the people that are coming in now are not just ruthless scumbags and we're finding value, I think in both parties. And it's just taken time to get to that point. Absolutely. And I'd say my current position is I'm the translator. Oh, yeah. I'm the person that translates between the industry that's coming in and the culture and the industry that built this space. And, you know, my biggest job right now is I, I do due diligence for private equity investment firms. Mm. And basically I go through and, and I, I rattle the cages of the businesses. But in that same regard, I've been taught how to speak finance. Mm. And so I'm able to come through and be, you know, the guardian angel on some of my friends and say, that's a bad deal. Don't take that, mm. you know. And so for me, my, my current profession, I'd say, is, is liaison um, between the the old regime and the new regime because at the end of the day n neither is going away right and if we don't learn how to coexist we are literally going to polarize this industry mm -hmm. like the two-party system in our politics and yeah. we're going to end up where nothing ever makes any sense well, and we're just fighting all the and time it, yeah, everybody and there's, there is other. a place yeah. in the middle right and there, there's a place in the middle there's so much space in the middle my, my God, if we couldn't use some of the value that has come, and as a woman, I will say this wholeheartedly from having a quality HR team. <laughs> yeah. Quality, yeah. quality HR. As a woman, I will say it firsthand. We are winning 
and we are in a better place because we are able to have professionals tell us that wasn't nice. And even for myself, I need it. We all need it. You know, that's not how you say that. Get, you know, here's the more professional way to do that because truth be told, most of us are cultural pariahs that didn't want to exist in mainstream society. <laughs> we didn't yeah. want to, we didn't want to belong there. So right. we have these already existing social ineptities that we struggle with for, you know, our, our beginnings. That's why we found cannabis. Yeah. You know, for those of us who existed in the beginning, it's because we didn't fit into the box. Well, and if you don't fit into the box now that we've becoming a part of it, how how are we going to ever find that place in the middle if we don't look to the, you know, societal, quote unquote, norms of what it looks like to treat people and what business looks like and learn from it? Well, yeah, that's a that's a great point. And and on that note, stewardship and evaluation is, is really where we've landed. And we come from a cultivation. Absolutely cultivation background at, at, at scaled operations vertically here in, in Michigan during a time where that was, uh, um, yeah, there was, there, that was a very risky proposition, but, but we did it and, and here we are. So it, it's about stewardship really for those, those people. And I've, I, again, I didn't, I didn't grow up saying, Hey, I want to be in marijuana. No way. It, it just, presented itself and I went, Oh my God, I'm ferociously independent. I don't like being told what to do. And I can, I can play well with others. I like playing with others, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to make a decision and I'm going to act on it. It's, and that is the archetype of, of caregivers and growers. It's just, some people would call them assholes and they might not be wrong, but it's, it's a type of mindset that's attracted to growers. And those growers have a tremendous value, especially now where there are more licenses being issued than there are skilled people to run these facilities. And with, with caregivers here in Michigan, now losing a revenue source, these guys need to come in and it's, it's talking to them and saying, Hey, you know, just let's round the edges a little bit so you can function within a, a, a framework of tr traditional businesses and saying to the traditional businesses, Hey, this guy, he, he looks like a punk rocker with a beard and neck tattoos and he's dirty, but this guy's a fucking rock star. You can't mm -hmm. take people. You cannot take people at face value in cannabis. What someone looks like. I've never seen anything anywhere in the world where there are guys that literally there's a guy that would come in. He had the dumpiest little truck. Every time he closed the door, Russ would fall off the door. He was covered in some type of, of shit pig or horse. I don't know. And he would come in and reek up, reek up the hydroponic shop I was working at. And he'd reach into his overalls and, and pull out a, a wad of $20,000 every couple months and just buy everything that he needed. The guy was one of the biggest growers that we had in, in the area. And you'd have no idea looking at him. You think that he was just a, a, a pig shit farmer. No, he was, he crushed it. And so it's about translating those people into the workforce. So I'd like to pivot into that. So you've, you've been involved with a lot of business launches, it seems like across the country and, and hired a lot of people. So if we can, I'd like to dive into some practical advice that you've seen in the field that you could give to people that uh, are, want to pursue a, a career. So let me, let me start with what advice do you have? for, for people that want to get into the industry, just in general, we'll start, we'll start really wide and then go 
really specific with the questions? Well, I would say first and foremost, when people say, I always wanted to get into the industry, um, there's so many ways just to like be next to it that when, you know, people say that I'm, I'm very, I'm very, uh, taken back, especially with the way social media exists now where, you know, you could very much coexist with it very easily, you know, as of right now with the, with coronavirus, obviously slightly different with events. Um, but in that same regard, you know, when people say, I really want to get into the industry, there are so many ways that you can get involved in what's happening without, you know, technically having a job, um, in the space, uh, especially with all the new regulations coming up city by city, county by county. Um, and so I always tell people, first of all, know what you're talking, know, know what you're actually asking to get into. Mm. Like what is, what is the industry? Because that is a very relative term depending on what city and county you live in. Right. Like that's like, especially I like, I just came back from Michigan. There are counties in Michigan that are like still very like minus the fact that the the governor just signed, but that are still very like not friendly to weed there. And that, and then you're, and, and then some places that you could live that you could be very far away, right. To get to a place to work or, or, you know, be in that. And so phase one would be get your local municipality under, under wraps in your mind. Like, do you understand what it looks like to be in the quote unquote industry locally? Mm. And I know that sounds like, Oh wow. I have to, I have to understand politics. And it's like, yeah, you do because this is a federally illegal business. And like anybody who thought that they were going to get into a quote unquote federally illegal business and not at least have some like groundwork of what it is that, that the, the local um, government is asking of them, you know, uh, I'd say is, is, is shallow. um, To be in in cannabis is, is to be politically engaged. Cannabis is a political, uh, it's it's a movement, but it is political, and that's great. Your job advice. is an agenda item. Your yes. job is an agenda item, and and that is your first thing. Because to me, that's you know that if you want to say something like, how do I get into social justice? Right, that's basically what you're saying to me. And it's like, well, first of all, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> right, like you got to tell me what that means. You know, what is what is in your world where you are locally? What is the cannabis industry? Because the cannabis industry globally is not the same as the cannabis industry in Oklahoma. Mm. It's not the same as the cannabis industry in Long Beach. And because like Long Beach, because we were one of the first cities, we are so progressive and things are moving so fast. And like our city attorney is, is super progressive and, and, and with it and, and the council. We have two council members that aren't allowed to fucking vote on agenda items because they're partners in dispensary. That's uh. how rad my city is. That's how rad the city I live in is. But then, you know, I go to some place like Michigan and I find out that the city two counties over, like you'll still get arrested for weed. Oh, like yeah. if you have and I was just like, wait, what? And one of the one of the people that we were interviewing, um, uh well actually who got the job, um, uh, was telling me that nine months ago he got pulled out of his car for under two and I was like, Was it over two and a half ounces? And he's like, No, it wasn't. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I pulled out of my car over weed. And I'm like, this is insane. Yeah. Like, 
we're in, we're in a state where what I've understood adult youth and, you know, being as, as well informed as I am. And, and I came in with Michigan. I, I had already read all the Michigan laws. You know, I was down for Ann Arbor. That's where we, I was located for my, my work. Um, and, and to hear the story, I thought, holy shit, this is definitely something that I need to make sure that I continue to impart on people, um, which is understand local. And because when he said that, he was like, yeah, I didn't really understand how crazy it was in the County that I lived in. And I just, I had just moved there and I had moved from a very friendly County and I had no idea. And, and, you know, they had, it was a small town and they had already pinpointed me as a drug dealer. Yeah. So on that on that note, how did your how did the interviews go last week? Sounds like you found, oh, man. The, found some people. So you, the that? interviews went well. Um, you know, the interviews went very well. I would I would have to say that every single person that stood out, um, like I said, had a grasp for um, some local uh, municipality, kind of where we were politically. That was something that was very impressive okay. about each of them, and it didn't have to be. It wasn't super in depth. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they understood the people that were in charge. Yeah, they don't have to be like lobbyists. That. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But I mean, just to, to grasp that, you know, here's where we are now versus where we were six months ago. I mean, that was an instant sell where they're like, mm. you know, very conscientious of, of how the caregiver model changed. You know, just something as simple as that where I was like, wow, this is something that, that the average person um, does not fully understand or even really grasp at all. And so for when you come in for you to, you know, looking for a job to have uh, your finger on the pole, it was very, very impressive um, mm. for the ones that did for the ones that did get those uh, those positions. Um, not only that, but to have, you know, a basic understanding for what's available in that area, too, because, again, your local existence is not the same. The, the local uh, cannabis market is not the same as the global is not right. the same as California or you know, the to things town. that are hot. Town to town, exactly. So, and so the things that are hot and trending, so that was something that was very valuable um, as well, where the, the these candidates did know brands, you know, maybe not all of them, but they had a couple that they like. And that to me, you know, showed um, at the very least a, a connection to the current industry, which is was beautiful. So you took the next um, question right out of my, right out of my mouth. I like where you're at. It's oh, sorry. no, it's great. No, I just, <laughs> I'm just happy that we're on the same page here. So what was the thing that, that jumped out to you on their resume or during the interview? And so just uh, keep going. <laughs> well, yeah. So during the interview, like I said, having that connection to brand, having that connection to the, the pulse. And again, not a lobbyist. I don't need you to be at all in, but I do need you to have an understanding where we are. And then, that last little bit, which was just that connection to the interest in the next thing in cannabis, mm. right? The the wanting for more, the thirst for the fact that this is you've just barely scratched the surface. Um, that's what that's the most beautiful thing I think, especially about cannabis because it is such an ever evolving thing. Um, you know, if you're passionate about a lot of things in the world that unless you are like a full on research scientist innovator, like there's not a, a ton of new things happening all the time, mm. but in cannabis, it's like every time we turn around, I there's something new that we I, can I, do. I, I, no! can't, I cannot keep up. And, 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 exactly. and yeah, and I'm, I'm thick in the middle of the whole thing and I'm just going, wait, what, what, what's happening in Florida? Wait, what happened in Maine? Like, 
I can keep Michigan no, straight, exactly. but it's just like, what the hell? And and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the interest though, that interest is yeah. honestly, I'd say the most exciting and the most enticing part about that new hire is here's the little bit that I know, but I'm so excited to learn more because the right team will give you oh, yeah. the resources, you know? And if you're, if you, when you're, when you're hiring and when you want to be on the, when, you you want to be on the right team. And when you're searching for mm-hmm. the right team, the right team will be in the constant efforts to give you the resources to grow. Yeah. Because that's all this industry is about. It's just about growing and, and you know, pardon the pun, but <laughs> if, if you're, if you're not growing, where are you going? You know? Oh, nice. That's a sound bite. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So do you need an, I already, I already know your answer, but I want to hear it anyway. Do you need experience to get in the cannabis industry? I'd say no, um, because it's such a new industry. It's like telling an 18-year-old they need credit to get credit. <laughs> right. You know, I, I feel like it's a very unfair uh, place. But you do need, um, you know, you do need some, some base education. And if you're coming in with zero experience, those things that I said about mm-hmm. knowledge, apply a thousand times more right yeah because if you come in and you're like hey i've never done this but i know this this and this and i know that i can learn this much more um that is impressive that is where you see you know that that person that you can help become that great member of your team and truth be told i'd almost prefer uh on a lot of entry level at this point not have a ton of experience because if you've been in it for too long and uh, there's a bunch of people with bad habits yes. and not to say they're bad actors, they're just bad habits, right? Yeah. I've got plenty of friends that still smoke cigarettes. They're not bad people. It's just disgusting. <laughs> and, and you know, that's um, similar to a lot of the ways that we've treated cannabis and not to say that they're, it's bad. They're doing bad things. It's just not good business. You know, that's not a good way to make a schedule. At two minutes before the next day. That's right. not a good way. You know, there's a lot of things that are, that, that we have to work ourselves out of. So, um, and so, so, so no experience in sometimes is almost better if you have some root knowledge yeah, on a full entry level position. Yeah. And you've, you've echoed what every other person I've ever talked to has said, and it boils down to we're hiring attitudes and a hunger for, yep. for learning everything else. If you have it, great. But having that right attitude is, that's the key. So yep. I'm going to change gears just a little bit. Should I dress for, dress up for the interview or should I dress for the job I want? Uh, I always feel like dressing up for an interview is the best answer you can ever do. But don't go like suit because unless you're applying for a corporate position, yeah. but like a nice shirt, wear a collared shirt, wear nice clothes. Don't show up in a, a baseball hat and a t-shirt. Like I grasp that you might be able to wear that to work, but that's not how you interview. That's yeah. not an interview attire. And when you go to the interview, they'll tell you, you don't have to dress like this to work. <laughs> and, and it's better to say you're dressed too nice and you can dress down tomorrow then for somebody to not hire you because you decided to not wear a collared shirt. Yeah. And an effort, effort is the difference maker. In my view, I don't, I don't care if someone is trying to chew on their ear, if they are willing to put the effort in, then I love them. I love people that yep. work. And because I think that's, 
that's one of the misconceptions about the industry is that it's just a great, it's, it's a great time and we're just hanging out and it is a great time, but it is hard work. It's long hours, especially in a garden and, and, well, and even at a retail center with just the sheer number of people that come through these dispensaries, this is, it, it, it's hard work. It's a lot of work. And it, there's a lot of things coming at people real fast. There is, but I do want to make sure that I put this out there because this is something that I find I'm very prideful in and the companies that I work for um, that they do as well, which is providing opportunities, equal opportunities for everyone, you know, and, and that's, that there are, you know, a lot of things that people get afraid because of potential you know, disabilities. Uh, the cannabis industry is a place that, that um, will make place will make room and and if yeah. if they won't if they won't then that's not that's not the right business for well, you to work for anyway if they, and, if they and, won't you know, that's a one that's illegal and huge legal and it's a, huge legal but and, and it's, and, but at the same time immoral. if they're not making efforts to yeah. do so then they miss the mark you know and and that's a that's definitely not those aren't the people <laughs> for yeah. for you you know and by and large i've got the prerogative to work to turn, to turn clients away. And that's, and that's great. But the truth is, is that I, I don't very often, most of the companies that I work with, I, one, I I don't do business with people that I can't have a conversation with. I need to know the leadership. I want to know their values. I want to know what they're about. I want to know how they're going to treat people. And I'm happy with what I've seen from, from my clients and, and there's mom and pop shops and there's, there's, multi-state operators. And it seems the companies that get it understand that they have to treat their people well, even from a, even if it's from a pragmatic point of view of, we need to just retain our talent because our talent is our most valuable asset and we don't want them to be taken by our competitors. And whatever the reasons, at least in my, in my bubble, there are, there are good stewards. Are there, are there companies that are total pieces of shit and scumbags without a doubt? And I would love to know who they are so I can steer people away from them. But I, I think the industry is doing a pretty good job of, uh, by and large, of treating people well. I think there could be higher wages. I think that insurance for employees could come on sooner. And and, and those are the two big issues that, that I see. But that could come with time. What are you, what are you seeing? What are you experiencing? <laughs> I've ended relationships with more clients than I've kept due to unethical business practices really? and not treat. Oh yeah. Um, I'm a really big stickler for, for ethical business practices, proper wages. Yeah. I have ended more business relationships than I have kept. Wow. Um, I am, I am uh, notorious for finishing my last few hours and writing a exit letter to tell people exactly all the things that ethically they have completely miss the mark on as well as let them know that you know this this won't continue will is um, it willful uh, neglect or is it ignorance ab- willful neglect hands wow. down willful neglect oh hands down over and over um conscious willful neglect to the point of where um i've quit more jobs over them employers not being willing to pay staff what they're worth wow. on a private level than I've kept huh. and, and literally like screaming matches, yelling at the owners of companies 
<laughs> over the fact that they don't want to pay their staff what they're worth. That's and, you know. One, and I mean, I'm talking about companies. I'm talking about companies that go on to sell for multi millions of dollars, and and CEOs take you know three four million dollars in a fucking Tesla. And I walked out because people wouldn't pay nineteen dollars an hour for someone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what's shocking to me is. I mean, I'd say I'd say Michigan is probably treating you a lot nicer than the rest of the world, and that's what I've heard. And a lot of that, a lot yeah. of that has to do with the fact, just based on being in Michigan while I was there, and not to be an asshole to where you're from, it's not the most investable asset right now as oh, far God, as the no. industry is concerned. God, no. So, no. so God, no. because it's not investable, you really, you really um, left the window of of um, scumbag money showing up close. You know, there, there isn't that, that window is not open for you. And, and the, the advantage that they're trying to take is not there for them to do so. So, um, we're not seeing it in Michigan. Uh, it was really bad for a while in Colorado. Um, it was also really bad for a long time in Oregon. I mean, and, and Oregon, I don't think we'll ever recover fully, um, Washington stayed pretty steadfast just because Seattle in general has always been kind of an expensive place. And I okay. think that was helpful. Yeah. Seattle was, Seattle was unique and being Seattle is like kind of is Washington, if you will. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm not trying to be an asshole to the rest of the state either. It's yeah. a beautiful state, but when it comes to like the major decisions and the economy and that sort of thing, really, you know, does anybody even know any of the other names in Seattle outside of like maybe a couple of the bordering? Like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So that's what I'm saying. So Seattle being as it's always been a very expensive place, um, didn't really afford. It's similar like San Francisco in California. You can't afford to not pay your people well because you can't, they can't afford to exist there. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there are a couple places where the economy itself has forced the employers to not be scummy because there were no options. You basically were either going to get a crackhead or pay someone correctly. Um, you know, the, the, I mean, there weren't really any options when it comes to like somewhere like San Francisco or Berkeley, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just, you can't. Um, but then in a lot of the rest of the state where people just see, you know, these vapid suck holes for potential cash, like a lot of these road, these road towns, that are, you know, uh, between Vegas and LA or whatever. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's not, not great opportunity. Uh, and, uh, unfortunately the employment, the employee employment pool is very limited in a lot of these places as well. Um, and then, you know, the cost of, of living is lower and all of those things. So they start to equate all of those things in. And then all of a sudden, you know, the same dispensary chain a hundred miles away that makes $19 an hour is trying to pay you 1250. Right. For the same job, for the same fucking job. Yeah. And And you're like, I'm still in California and I'm driving all the way out here to do this job. And wait, what? Like, (laughs) yeah. And you, you confirmed a lot of what I, what I kind of suspected. And I mean, that's, that's great for Michigan. Um, but it sucks for some of the more established markets. And and what you're saying has been echoed in conversations with uh, other participants in the podcast, Brett and Glenn. I told them what the wages here in Michigan were, and they were like, what? And I was like, yeah. I mean, $13, $15 an hour starting out, and then it scales from there. 
And that's just for entry-level blood tenders. And then usually we see double, triple pay raises or, or promotions. And they were like, holy crap. And I'm like, well, you know, there's opportunity here. <laughs> you know, your skills travel. But, you know, I think that it's, I think it's a shame because the cannabis industry is a place where we can have a hand in shaping what our work and what our industry looks like. We can adopt best practices and it could be a workforce oasis. And it's a shame to, to see these companies not do that because the amount of money that, that a license can generate is staggering for those that don't know it. If it's, if it's run even half ass, it's, it's an incredibly profitable thing. And the amount of money that we spend on employees is not much at all. And then keeping but those then people. also also considered 280E as one of the major factors uh, that has kept people in a lot of these situations. So when you have when you have these investors that roll in that don't grasp how 280E works, um, and for those of you who are not aware, 280E is the regulation that keeps us from properly being able to write off things like employment costs at the location of sale. So when you start to consider the fact that we can't write off that cost and now you have an investor who used to own like a fucking blockbuster or something stupid um, <laughs> and, and, you know, made millions of dollars on something that like at some point they were able to write off those wages, right. For their, in, their retail position, their retail job. Yeah. Um, they can't do that. And so, you know, the first budget that goes is marketing and the second budget that goes is employment, you know? Yeah, I think I, I think that's the stupidest thing in the world. And, you know, coming from an operations background, we are so competent in, in what we do. And also I've worked in in hellhole factories, you know, in, in another life. I know what it's like to be treated less than less than human, like a piece of garbage. And uh, I don't want to work in a place like that. And because I'm in charge, we don't. And I just it, it's just it's it's offensive and, and it's appalling to think that that. That is the way, and I would hope that when when, when our licensing comes comes online, we can stomp those people right out, just because happy people are more productive, and they stick around. Yep. And that investment and that time into the into your workforce, it, it, when someone gets to know the facility, then every, it's a tide that raises all ships. And so, so it's a, I have I have one of the best stories. Uh, and I, this is a random anecdotal story, but it's just how uh, serious you have to be as an employer or as a manager or a leader in your team when you realize your best employees aren't getting paid what they're worth and you yeah. ask for more money, right? And you go and you say, hey, because it's all of our jobs, right? Just because I'm not an owner doesn't mean that I don't get to ask for more money for my staff. Yeah. So when I go up and I ask for a raise for one of my managers and the employer of this company, you know, this company will remain nameless, but uh, we were in Colorado and uh, my, my employee, her name was Erin. I love her. She's one of my uh, dear friends to this day, Erin Castellano. Um, she wasn't getting paid what she was worth. And I was, it was my birthday dinner and I, I lived in Colorado. I didn't have any friends or family out there. I had moved out there with weed maps originally Nice. And a boyfriend, and I and I quit my job at Weed Maps, and I broke up with a boyfriend. So I I, <laughs> I had a new job, clean. and a, oh yeah, start over, start over. So I was uh, <laughs> the vice I was the vice president of a chain of dispensaries uh, in in California or in Colorado, and 
they would not pay Aaron what she was worth. And I had asked a couple times and they, they'd slow played me about it. And they didn't say no, but didn't do, say yes. It was my birthday dinner and I'm out to dinner with my bosses because I don't have anything better to do on my birthday, <laughs> apparently. And, uh, there took me to my favorite restaurant and I, it's a restaurant called Old Major. And I just ordered this steak. It's a 32 ounce bone in dry aged ribeye, biggest fucking steak you can get. And my whiskey drink and my appetizers. And I just ordered the steak and I'm drinking my whiskey. And I tell them, I need you to give Aaron, you know, this much money. And they said, well, we're not going to be able to do that. And they said, well, uh, I'm going to need you to do that because I really just can't work here if you can't pay the team what they're worth. And like, I just, in my mind, I can't ask her to come to work tomorrow and pay her that with all the expectations that I have. And I was like, you need to give me a demotion or whatever it is. Like, mm. I don't care. And they're like, well, we, we won't do that because we need you to keep doing what you're doing. Uh, but also we can't pay her what, or we can't give her that. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, you know, we're going to be expanding and we need a new store and we just don't have the budget to pay her that because we're going to need to get another manager. And I said, well, if you're going to try to expand, right. you're you going to need your, yeah. You're going to need me. And it sounds like um, I can't come to work tomorrow if we don't uh, pay her what she's worth. So on that regard, um, I quit. And I <laughs> slammed all my, my whiskey drink and I split the glass across the table and I walked outside um, only to realize that they drove me there. No. Um, and, and so I now have to stand outside and wait for my Uber and I'm waiting for my Uber with my back to the window that they're just sitting on the other side of, like just sitting there. And so I leave and I get home and I'm like, fuck, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't have a job. I just quit. <laughs> what the fuck? And I get a text like 45 minutes later and it said, uh, uh, go out to your porch. And so I go out to my porch and there's, uh, my steak is on, uh, in a box and there's a box of macaroon cookies, my little dessert cookies. And it says, uh, we'll pay Aaron, you know, the wage and please come to work tomorrow. Uh, uh, love, you know, Dave and Ben. And I was like, wow. All right. I'll yeah. come to work tomorrow. Yeah. You guys, but like it. it came, it, it came to that. It came to that. I had to quit my fucking job on my birthday. Yeah, but I had to quit my job on my birthday to get somebody paid what they were worth. If, and it wasn't even that much money. It wasn't even that much money. <laughs> I mean, if, if I was an employee, I would want to work for you for sure. That, that that's, <laughs> that's the takeaway I got. I was like, okay, Nicole has her people's back. Like, yes, <laughs> I might, I might get, I might get intense and it might be, you know, serious as fuck sometimes. But when it comes to the fact that, I'm willing to be that way for you, then it's, it's all worth it. You know, when, when, when it's your back is up against the wall, I'll be there in that same level of intensity. And I feel like this industry doesn't have enough of that. Everyone's like every man and woman for themselves. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of that, you know, has been based on the way that it's gotten recently, you know, not as much, like I said, as in Michigan, but like, in California and in some places, you know, it's like everyone's fighting over that, those couple investors. And if you've ever been to LA to see what people will do for a, a gig in a movie, man, what they won't do for a, an investment for their weed business. I, you know, I, <laughs> see that. And again, I have, I have a complete opposite spectrum. I've, I've got people with money that have approached me years ago and I've always said, no, I just said, no, I'm, I'm doing this. This is what I want to do because I can have a greater impact. 
I can grow. I can, yeah. I, and I, anybody can grow weed. I can teach anybody how to grow weed. That's not a big, but taking what, what the, well, the experience but, that I've had and helping other people get into this thing and being a steward of them, nobody's doing that. So this is what I need to be doing. What, absolutely. But what's happening now and what you'll see in, you know, in like California or places that the market is, is kind of expanding faster than those of the U.S. Mm. is everyone's running out of capital, right? Well, that's because so that I don't know what the hell they're doing. I mean, that it, initial investment just got like blown all over the place, and everyone went this route of of uh, you know overspending on so many levels, right. thinking that it was just going to be this you know gangbust drug dealer money, <laughs> and, it, and it's not. Yeah. You know, and I try to remind people of that. I'm like, we're not drug dealers anymore. Like, this isn't how it works. You know, we're not we're not pushing uh, uh, drugs. We're we're selling a commodity. Like when I first got into this, I used to lie to my grandma and tell her I was a commodities <laughs> broker. But like, fuck, I feel like I mean, if, if, if there's not something, if, there's nothing really any closer. You're a commodity. You're, we're selling a commodity. This is you know, this is hop right? Hops makes beer. There's great beer. There's like 95% of the beer that we drink in the United States comes from two fucking companies. Actually, it's uh, 85%. And the other 15% comes from a thousand companies. There's a thousand different like little brands yeah, on average. Farms. Yeah. yeah. So, and then the rest is two. Two. Yeah. And it's operational. It's knowing how to grow. I, I, yeah. I, I can grow weed. I can, I can sell weed. I know how to do those things because I, I, I paid my dues. I mortgaged my house and turned in, turned in our family 401k and then failed my way to success for three years before we, Hi, before mom. we stumbled. On, <laughs> yeah. Before we stumbled on success and it was so foreign that I was like, Oh my God, we fucked up again with this new thing that happened. Oh wait, nothing fucked up. Oh wow. This after three years of eating shit, this is what not failing looks like. And it's not, there, there are so many complexities to it. And the skill set to run these facilities at scale and not even a large scale is so rare. And that's where I'm saying, I have a client right now. And I'm, I said, look, I've got someone that can come in and they can physically run the operations, but they can't do the compliance. They can't do the computer work. They can't do any of the metric. They can grow the plans and they can manage people, but we're going to need to get another team member to come in. And do the do compliant that. to do the compliance portion. I said, one, if you could find this person that could come in and do everything, they'd be a unicorn and they'd own a, a majority stake of your company. And and two, if you could even get someone to leave a company where they're at to come to yours, they would own a majority stake in your company. It's it, we're going to have to piecemeal these teams together, and that's yep. where the that's where the opportunity is. You know, I was listening to your story. There were times where you just stamped your authority on something. You said, fuck you. This is how it's going to be. And that, and I'm the boss. And you were able to do that because you cultivated a, a special skill set. You can write your own ticket because you've paid your dues and most likely still are. <laughs> it never stops. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But you have developed an, enough value reputationally and, and operationally to where you can start making your own way. And I think that's an important Absolutely. thing to illustrate to the job seekers out there that after, after that initial shit eating, learning the, the hard way for a couple of years, then you can start to, to shape what your work and what your role looks like. And if, if you're in a bad situation, 
you can say, nope, I'm not good. And then leave and then land on your feet somewhere else. I would say, uh, reinvent yourself a thousand ways, a thousand days before you ever stay in this cannabis space in a situation that feels weird to you. If you feel uncomfortable, if you feel anything, if you feel like they're, they're a little shady, you feel like they don't listen. They don't, you like, like literally, literally I'm at a place to say this. Uh, I am the world's first white collar criminal in the history of regulated cannabis. Um, I was the vice president of Sweet Leaf Marijuana Centers uh, six months prior to their raids and shutdown. Because I was the vice president during time of investigation, when they actually went through after a year and a half long grand jury investigation and $13 million in the city of Denver's money, um, they were able to prove nothing because we were not some sort of gang bust criminals. We were normal people that were riding the lines of the regulation based on what our attorneys told us. Mm. And because I was the head of the chain of, of uh, command right before ownership and cannabis businesses are provided zero corporate protection. Right. Uh, if you have any con- conscientiousness of corporate protection, that gives you the ability to be a boss in a company and not have criminal liability on yourself based on what happened. Because we are in a federally illegal business, we have no corporate protection. So because I worked my little ass off and made my way all the way up to a C-suite position at the top of the fucking chain, at the end of the day, when the company got in trouble, if it were my said, if I were to have said that the owners made me do anything, it would have been a 10-year charge on them and they would have been in trouble. But the owners didn't make me do anything. I understood what my fucking job was. My job was to read these rules and interpret them. And I interpreted them this way. My lawyers interpreted them this way. They interpreted them this way. So that's how I upheld the fucking regulations. But if I were a person of less strength that didn't want to get into trouble, it would have been very easy for me to tell the district attorney that the owners made me do something when they, didn't, in fact, did not. Um, but because of that is the reason why I would say the number one thing that you need to do before you do anything in the cannabis industry is understand exactly what it is the fuck you're doing. Mm-hmm. And don't ever expect your boss to tell you what your job is in the law. If you don't fucking know what the law is, don't do the job. If your boss didn't give you a document that shows you here's what the law is, don't do that job. If your boss didn't give you access or the ability to find out what the fucking law is, don't do that job. Because this is a federally legal business and you have no corporate protection. None. But yeah, that's, that's, no. re- that's really good advice. And, and I like that. And I appreciate that because that's, that's walking into the room, eyes wide open. Did 18 of my bartenders and kept them in uh, overnight or for the weekend, they rest them on Friday. Uh, so the, the bartenders, and then they went after the managers and then the managers went after corporate and the corporate went after ownership. No, they went straight up. They $13 million. No, they rested, they rested 18 bartenders. They raided all of our stores. Think, synchronized at the exact same time. So the largest, uh, largest uh, organized raid on regulation in history of cannabis, first white collar criminal history of cannabis. Yeah. This wow. is two, two years, three years ago, the raids happened two years ago. I went to jail. Oh, 20, you've done, yeah. You've done time. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a felon. I'm a, <laughs> no I'm a felon. Wow. All right. Well then you've got your, uh, you know what? We can hang out and, uh, and polish our Bob Barkers together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got, I, I got, got my little baby toothbrush. <laughs> okay. Bob Barker, the oh my god, yeah, that's a that's a conversation for another time. But yeah, I've I, I, <laughs> I, I've got my stripes as well. Not and not that I fucking wanted them because I don't, and I don't want no. anybody to have them. And 
and and that's what I appreciate about what you're saying in that we have very different perspectives and, and different experiences to where what what I've seen is they just step right all over of, and, and go right after all of my employees. All of my yeah. employees showed up having no concept of this, right? I, have, I had employees that came from all over the United States to work and they just felt like, oh, cannabis is the new frontier. They had zero fears at, at work or, or like concerns of anything like this happening. And, and that for that reason and for the fact that it can happen and it did happen and people are like, oh, it'll, it, that would never happen. Cool. So it did. And it happened in yeah. a state like Colorado and it happened with a business that was doing $90 million a year paying fucking 15 right. mil in taxes. I'm sorry. No, yeah. it can happen to anybody. Yeah. And, and so, these were like normal people. The owners were not criminals. They're like normal dudes that like work real hard, yeah. struggled, came up out of nothing, like legitimately like normal fucking people. They're, they were, I did not, I did not work for the fucking cartel or anything. <laughs> like these were like, these were like, like one home owning, one car owning human being. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this was like a normal life and a normal business. It, like it, the, the, the reality that we got treated the way that we did is the most, like I, I can only imagine what the fucking grand jury must have thought when we finally, when we finally walked in. Right. Like when yeah. they saw us and they were just like, what? And then they were like, Oh, they're not criminals. And when they like looked at all of our backgrounds, <laughs> yeah. they're like, Oh, they're not fucking like, mafia like they, no they don't no, have scars like on their normal. faces and and no like they, she's never been shot or stabbed like yeah. no like what the fuck like and so for that reason i say you know just knowing what you're what you're going into and knowing the type of people you work for like all these people that are willing to go work for these like pop-up trap shops in la like stop well yeah so stop. that that leads to my they don't give a fuck about you <laughs> which leads to my next question is, you know, what, what is, what are some good questions that someone could ask during a first and a second interview? I would say um, the first question would be, is this our only location and are we expanding, you know, like uh, understanding for expansion. If you're in a place that has legal weed, the first thing I would always do before I even showed up was just check to make sure they were licensed. Mm. And there's a way on every, in every state, <laughs> every state has some sort of like database that you can look up or call or something. You know what I mean? If they're licensed, yeah. to find out if that's a real license. Like I'm going to apply for a job at this place because yeah. uh, one of my clients had a fucking person make a, that had a Yelp account. This is so crazy from like 10 years ago. This is a, a dispensary that was open and then they closed and then they reopened under the new regulations. Mm. But when they closed, somebody had, um, uh, what is it called? Um, take, I don't know what it, it's called, but when you take control of a Yelp account, oh, they claimed it. Somebody had oh, claimed okay. the Yelp account because it had been inactive for so long, right? So when you make a, uh, when there's a free Yelp or free Google account, because you know how they just make sure that like all the restaurants are on there, all the businesses are on yeah, there. Yeah, you can claim it. Uh, yeah. yeah. So someone else claimed it like years and years and years ago, right? And so fucking eight years go by and this Yelp account had like changed some of the words on it, but it still had like the pictures for this dispensary mm. and all of the information about this dispensary on it. And so a lot of people were ordering for years thinking it was them oh wow years eight years this, this yelp had been delivering weed <laughs> to people's houses saying that 
they were. It was this other business. Yeah. Wow. That it wasn't. That it wasn't. So, and the only reason they found out is because someone came in and was like, "Oh yeah, I got a delivery from you guys." <laughs> and they were like, "What? Yeah, no. What the fuck are you talking about?" And uh, yeah, so I would say, you know, first and foremost, make sure that they have a license uh, before you even show up. Because it could be very easy that somebody's like, oh, yeah, you know, well, let's, come work for this delivery service and it not be licensed in some places. Let, let's context it back into my wholesome Michigan world. <laughs> oh, wholesome yeah. Michigan wholesome world? Wholesome Michigan world. What, what are some, uh, assuming there's no nefarious shit going on, um, what are some to, to help land a job. Oh, man. At, I, at a I always go to such, I always go to such nefarious thoughts. Like, I know. So many bad things. <laughs> yeah, like, I've seen so many bad things. I'm, I know. I'm like, Holy shit. I just assume something bad's happening. <laughs> like this. No, we're, we're back Someone, in, in wholesome, quaint little Michigan where nothing bad ever happens. Apparently. <laughs> um, I mean, I would definitely want to know if they have, you know, expansion opportunities outside of, uh, Michigan or just outside of that location. You know, a lot of companies have other, I know, I know Cura Leaf is out there and there's like a couple other companies that are like nationwide, but I feel like that's a great opportunity for, you know, a career. Um, and not to say that it's a small dispensary that doesn't want to leave Michigan couldn't be a career too. Um, but the, the opportunity to do something, you know, travel get out get out of of uh just being in retail and doing more seeing if they have you know other types of licenses as well i think a lot of people use retail as an entry to the industry because you can walk into a store you know um it it makes it a little bit harder to find your way into a grow when they're not like listed and yeah. addresses and you can't just like go knock on a door and be like hey can i grow weed here you know no, and the security but, guard's like no go away <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah exactly exactly um, so but you know it, finding out if there's other opportunities uh outside of the retail space i'd say would be another question that i would ask okay um and honestly making sure that there's um benefits available mm. because that's something that you know should be happening needs to happen um the, the good ones are the good ones are are providing uh, and then you know also the union is involved in cannabis now and so i'm you know i hate to i hate to sound very like threatening about it but like if you don't treat your team right the union's coming for you hmm. you know what i mean like they're they they are coming and um, you know, even if you do treat your team right, the union a lot of times is a great resource to align with, uh, because they work hard and lobby for things like lower taxes for cannabis and they're fighting for 280E reform, you know, like the union's very involved. Um, but I would say, I would say, uh, that is probably, I don't know, less than less than six months out from being a very real thing in Michigan. Who who knows with that? I'm more interested in what type of questions as the interviewer you like to be asked during the, your interviews. I mean, honestly, just questions that they have about opportunities. There's not really any, anything specific that I would have to say is like something that I would like, because that's unique to what they're looking for. Like, 
some people are interested, whatever it is that they're interested in. I've been asked all kinds of things about, you know, what the strains that we like to carry. I've been asked things about, you know, how we pick our products. Like it really just is about what you would find to be interesting. Um, and, and more, and more than anything, uh, the questions that I would say you should ask are in relation to making sure that you're going to get paid and treated correctly Yeah, because there's just not enough of it. We've, and what I've seen is I, I've had companies go, Matt, I, I don't know if we can, if we have the runway to pay the wages that we know they need to be paid and we can't do insurance. So I said, okay, well be honest, tell Tell your potential employees that and then make a, make a pact with them and say, hey, we just need to get up and running and get the business viable. And then in six months, we'll give you a raise and we'll give you insurance. And I have to say that that's happened with multiple companies and every one of them have done it. And when I follow up, I'd say that's probably a very unique Michigan thing. I don't know. I don't even know that I'm a very good interview person for Michigan. No, no, you're, no, you're I great. Don't think, no, you're, you're, I don't think the things that, that are relevant to you in the fact that like nobody would do that in, in California or the rest of the United States. Well, and like a pack, a pack for the most part, unfortunately, in almost everything I see never gets met on like a, a shake of a hand means shit anymore in the space. So like I would, I would not accept the pack as an employee. I would not. Personally. I, I have to say that I would, I, and I would say, and I would say, I would advise against it as a mentor uh, to young people, and, you know, and I, I would say contracts are fucking nothing. You know what I mean? Like well, I, there's just too many people, too many things in the space where people don't do what they're saying they're going to do. Unfortunately, you for me I to feel are, confident in that. You and I are on, I, I think we have the same goal, but you and I have very different perspectives. And I appreciate that because you are not, what I hear is care, thought, and concern of, Hey, I'm going to scare the fuck out of you and tell you all the gnarly stuff. So you know what these motherfuckers out here are like. And I think that's important that, that at least the people in Michigan and, and maybe in some of these other pockets understand that maybe the way things are here is not the way it is across the industry. It's the way it should be, but it's not. And I it think that it'd be beautiful. It'd be beautiful, and and that's that's what that's what my work is. And I think that's what the undercurrent of your work is is to make this what it ought to be, what it's supposed to be, not what it not a drippy shit show. And so I appreciate your your candor, your 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 just brutal honesty, because forewarned is forearmed. And if people know, yeah. then they're not going to get waylaid and blindsided. So just keep pouring it on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's better to know. And so thank you. Well, and leaving, leaving Michigan is like a culture shock for people. I think if they, and I've had a couple friends that were in the Michigan space that left Michigan and are back there now. And both of them said something very similar to me, like, uh, you know, the rest of the industry is not like the, their hometown, you know, the way that the way that and I'd say there's probably a couple places that could have stayed like that. But 
made it made it a lot more interesting for investment. Like Oklahoma is a good example. Oklahoma could have been a really quaint situation, but the investment opportunity became too fucking big and they didn't cap the way the licensing worked. Mm-hmm. And so everybody just rolled into Oklahoma thick. Like Michigan hasn't been like tainted by yeah. these like stampede of money. A, a stamp well of money and it's not even like it's not even like just the money it's like the intention Ah. it's the it's the intention that comes with it like like three quarters of the state of california uses medmen as an example for things to this fucking day (laughs) we were we we ripped on them so hard i talked so much shit about them and i said this and i mean i I, I held up and i said this is a prime example of where not to work a thousand percent, but you also have to understand that in this like highly competitive market in a place like California, yeah. when they're fucking shiny ass turd and you look at the world at, you know, Hollywood and all the things like, and the, the whole world looks at us for this. You know what I mean? Like this is the, the whole world is staring at California right now and we're all sitting here and, and people like me are trying to you know, shake the shit out of people and be like, this is not going to work out. This is all going to plummet. Mm. And like when I go through and I work with clients and they'll be like, well, med men, oh, well, geez. med men. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to fucking punch you. <laughs> like I literally want to assault people. I'm selling, <laughs> so I won't. Uh. But like, what the fuck? The, the amount of times that somebody's answer is literally, but med men does. You know, I'm like, oh, it's against the law to be able to see weed from the street. Well, at med men, I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, just because somebody hasn't gotten in trouble for it yet and they're big doesn't mean that what they're doing is legal. And just mm. because they're, they want to break the law doesn't mean that we should break the law. Like, are you like, where, where are we going with this? But that in, in a majority of the United States is a commonplace conversation. It's whichever is the shiniest fucking turd that everyone's looking at. And they're like, I want to be like that. Mm. Like, I mean, look at Ignite and Dan Blazarian. People were mocking his stuff for a while like and now they're like oh oops nobody liked that like the industry spoke but the money still followed him for a while yeah i yeah uh (laughs) not not in michigan though i mean it didn't happen in michigan but it was i mean ignite was in every big dispensary in california you know everyone bought it because they were like okay it's dan blazarian sure you know what i mean like i i can't i it's it's i wish i wish i could take the the wholesomeness of the industry that exists in michigan and expand it everywhere and but at the same time part of me is like just stay there guys well, the rest of the world is fucked up like you know, it's I, safe there like i don't know what to say well <laughs> i'm like i don't know if you could there's enough love if you guys can care bear stare your ways out of it well yeah and and for me i'm uh, <laughs> i'm you know i'm an eternal optimist that that functions in reality so we can have our cake and eat it too we can have people that are stoked and we can have incredible profitability because the amount of money that can come from these these licenses is is astronomical and the piece that has to be taken out to pay people a living wage, 50, 60, $70,000 a year, it doesn't do anything to the bottom line. It does. If no. it does, if the company 
doesn't know what the hell they're doing in operations, then that's their problem. And I'll happily eat their lunch. But, yeah. but until then, you know, it's just, it, it, for us, it's just going back to, back to our expertise and, and that's in operations. And Nicole, this has been really eye opening, and I appreciate it so much. I appreciate your time. So thanks for participating. If there are people out there that want to get in touch with you, how would you recommend they do that? I just, first of all, want to say thank you so much for having me. And also, Michigan, thank you guys for being so kind and welcoming. Um, I really definitely enjoyed my, my stay, and I will be back. Uh, and if you want to find me, um, you can find me on my website, NicoleWest.com, N-I-C-H-O-L-E, West. Dot com or on Instagram uh, or pretty much all the social medias, yeah. uh, harvest underscore honey. Um, and yeah, thank you so much again for having me. Yeah, thank you. And I'm, I'm glad that we're calling you here because this will turn into a four hour conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry for being so such a bummer, but mm-hmm. I uh, I definitely would. I, I like to, to stay ready so I don't have to get ready, you know? <laughs> There's a sound bite again. I love it. No, I just, <laughs> I think that the, your passion, your expertise, your background, your story, the scale of where you've gone from you know, some chick in an apartment growing weed to all of a sudden you're in front of a grand jury at one of the largest cannabis companies (laughs) in the country. I mean, that's impressive. And so I I just, I really appreciate the diverse perspective and, you know, it's not all sunshine and puppies like I, like I'd like to think it is. And I think that it's super important to show the other side of things and what unfortunately you've seen. And so thank you again. I still have a ton of fun, though. I just definitely want to put that out there. Uh, I would not shade any bit of any of this for the world. And honestly, I think the reason why I like to tell these stories and make sure people hear it is because if you can hear it and you can still want it bad enough to wake up tomorrow and try to do this again, I want you here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Nicole, and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And we should do this again sometime. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. So this is the after interview review. And that was a very interesting show with Nicole. And it was a totally different perspective than, than the one I have. And that's good. That's exactly what I want to have happen is every person in the industry has a different background and has a different view on it. And hers was very very varied. She's experienced the industry from top to bottom and she has some great points. So I think the major takeaways are get to know the company that you want to work for. Ask some questions. I like the, I, I like the idea of verifying a license and there are tools you could, you could just Google and bring up for Michigan. It's, it's Lara and the MRA, the Michigan regulatory agency and, and you can verify a license. And there are things that definitely want to keep in mind when, when you're working at some of these places is if you're doing, if an employer is asking you to do something that makes you uncomfortable, then don't do it and bring it up or ask them to provide documentation. So 
you definitely want to cover your butt and make sure that you're not putting yourself in any jeopardy. And again, just from the Michigan perspective, we're not seeing that here, but as you guys have heard, and as you'll find out more, that's a bit unique. And so watch your butts and do your diligence and, and make sure that you're, you're following the rules. And if you don't know what the rules are, then ask and have conversations with other people in the, in the industry. There's, and just say, Hey, you know, my employers were asking me to do this. What do you guys think about it? So there are resources out there to help you. Unfortunately, not everyone is a good actor. And as I come across them, then I'll happily point them out. But until then, do your best to get to know the companies that you work for. And as I mentioned, I get to know all the employers before I even, before I have anything to do with them. So that's one of the things that I take super seriously is I don't want to put people in a position where they have to worry about getting in trouble in any way. So hopefully this has been insightful and eye opening. And I want to thank Nicole for participating again. So if you like what you're hearing, then consider supporting our cannabis donations could be tax deductible and support the programs that help people get jobs in the cannabis field. Please consider making a gift today. This has been Matt Hoffman, and I look forward to seeing you in the cannabis field.